What role did McDonald's play in winning three gold medals in 2008? <laughs> what did the original Apple computer logo look like? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, Marcia, what role do you think McDonald's played in the 2008 Olympic Games? It helped win three gold medals. Well, is it because it gave um, money to three people who couldn't afford to go there? No, it's actually more direct than that. Okay, then what? Well, according to Britannica.com, during the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the famed Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt found his body was reacting poorly to the local Chinese food. So instead of eating the local fare, (laughs) he he opted instead to eat an estimated 100 McDonald's chicken nuggets a day. Oh, my God. During his 10-day stay in China. And that made him a winner? And during those games, he won three gold medals. Wow. So... McDonald's played a role. It certainly did. (laughs) I can't say cause and effect, but... uh, Who came up with that idea? Here's a hundred chicken nuggets. Eat every day, Bolt. (laughs) That does seem like a lot, doesn't it? Well, he's a big guy. He's been clocked as the fastest human being, so that's the role (laughs) they had, okay? (laughs) Fueled by McNuggets. That's a a great uh, banner sign for McDonald's. (laughs) Actually, a Belgian scientist used lasers to measure his performance in the different stages of a 100-meter race in 2011, and they found that 67 meters into the race, he reached a top speed of 27.33 miles per hour. Oh, my goodness. Faster than anyone else. I'd love to follow up on that and see if uh, he's still eating them. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. All right, Bob. Apple Computers has always been known for its design, yes? Yes. Okay. So there was an original logo before its iconic partially bitten apple that we all know and love today. Yes, yes. Okay, so what was it? I think it had something to do with Newton, didn't it? Oh, very good. Newton's tree or something. It was about Newton's apple, the apple that fell off Newton's tree. It was Sir Isaac Newton himself sitting under an apple tree. This, of course, was a reference to the legend of Newton formulating his law of universal gravitation after getting bonked on the head, supposedly, by a falling apple, (laughs) which ranks right up in history's big aha moments, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway... So that was pretty short-lived, and so uh, in part because co-founder Steve Jobs felt the design couldn't be effectively rendered in a smaller version. Right. You know how that works. Yeah, you have to have it so you can use it in many different ways. Yes, in many different versions. So he hired a graphic designer, Rob Janoff, who came up with the logo now recognized worldwide. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that first one didn't look graphically modern, let's put it that way. Yeah, it wasn't like the one they have now. Everybody knows it everywhere. Amazing. You know, we were talking about Usain Bolt. I was reading a little bit more about him. You said you like to go back to him. His body is an anomaly. He's not like most sprinters. He's taller and lankier than most sprinters. Oh, yeah? 
he probably shouldn't have even competed in that race, they said, because from a biomechanical perspective, the fastest sprinters are usually short. Their muscles are loaded with fast-twitch fibers for rapid acceleration. Fast-twitch fibers? That's what they call them. Okay. The elite sprinter is a compact athlete, not a tall, lean one, but that's what he is. That just tells you don't go with all the assumed knowledge, That's right, right yeah. They're just uh, break out of the mold. If you think you can do it, try it. Exactly. Okay, quickie. Who owns the Mall of America in Minneapolis? Who owns the Mall of America? Yeah. Well, the people own the, the Mall of America. The people the American <laughs> people. Is it a known entity? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to ask for the specific name, but the people who own it are... Okay. Canadians. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. They own that. The Isn't Mall that funny? of America. It was developed by the Triple Five Group, a Canadian retail and entertainment conglomerate. So Canadians own the Mall of America. Well, and actually, do you know that the biggest mall in North America is in Canada? I wonder if it's the same it company. It is the same company. It is the yeah, same company. It is. In the decades since its opening, the Mall of America has grown, increasing to 5.6 million square feet and stuffed with 520 stores and 60 residents. <laughs> and 60, 60 people living there, huh? And 60 restaurants. Oh, restaurants. <laughs> oh, okay. Today, it's also home to 13-screen movie theater, an wow. indoor theme park, a mini golf course, and the largest aquarium in the state of Minnesota. I just remember when we were there, I was just overwhelmed by it. I, oh, yeah. I wanted I, to leave it. I did, too. I, I, <laughs> I don't think I bought one thing. I just said, this is too much. But the kids liked it. That was a, you Well, know, there was some kind of... Play area there. Well, yeah, like a little roller coaster or a train or something. All right, Marsha, a medical question for you. <laughs> ah, good. What medical instrument's prototype was a rolled-up paper tube? Aha! The... Sophisticated medical <laughs> equipment, a rolled-up paper tube. <laughs> was it the, uh, uh, what do you call that, tubing that goes into your... Your body, no, I can... You know. Some kind of plumbing you're describing? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, okay, rolled up tube. I don't know, Bob. This was yeah. actually designed on the spot by a doctor using a rolled up paper tube. The stethoscope. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'll bet they used it like a little horn or... Yes, a... it was invented in 1816, and French physician René Lenec didn't want to put his ear on a female patient's breast. <laughs> Not because it would be too intimate, but because she was obese. Oh. And he felt he wouldn't be able to hear her heartbeat well. So he pressed a rolled up paper tube against her chest, and that amplified the sounds of her heartbeat. Oh. And that was the first stethoscope. That's a good jerry rig. I like that. That was. And of course, they use stethoscopes for other things too to determine do you have too much water in your lungs or, or you know, do you have uh, pneumonia and so forth and oh, so yeah, on. Oh, yeah, to hear if there's water in there, yeah. And that came from an idea called percussion because they would tap on the people's chests and so forth. Okay. That was something that a doctor, another doctor, came up with. His name was Leopold Ehrenberger, a doctor whose father ran a Viennese hotel and they had wine casks downstairs. And yeah. he remembered that the employees would just thump on those wine casts to see how full they were. Oh, yeah, of course. So he thought, you know, why don't we do that to patients and oh, determine how full they are? I'll be darned. Yeah, and that led to percussive hammers that doctor would use to test yeah. reflexes and tap on your chest, and then eventually that led to the stethoscope. The stethoscope. Okay, what's the name mean? Stethoscope. Stethoscope. Oh, you're getting a lot milk in this one for a, a <laughs> lot. I don't know. Stethoscope. Stethos, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. It's Heart, blood, uh, sound. What holds all that? 
What holds it all? What holds the heart and the blood? A cavity? A chest, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> Stethos means chest. Scope means to look or examine. Uh, okay, fine. So that's where the term right. comes from. Moving on, Bob. Okay. All right. I'm going to give a shout out, Bob, All right. to Greg Williams in St. Petersburg, Florida. He's actually a former newsroom buddy of mine at the Telegraph Herald who sent us a book called Good Old Days, My Ass, <laughs> written by another former newsroom buddy of mine, David Frixell. It's chock full of funny history and facts and terrifying truths about yesteryear, unquote. <laughs> we both work with these folks. They're both good folks, oh, weren't they? Here's a couple of them, Bob, a couple of, of Dave's thoughts. Bob, what exactly was a bathing machine invented by a Quaker in 1753? A bathing machine? Yes. Yes. Not a bathtub. No. A bathing, bathing machine. machine. Invented so, by a Quaker. Uh-huh, yes. I understand <laughs> what we're saying here. The Quakers, the very conservative uh, yeah. religious people. Yes. So you could get into this bath without taking your clothes off? What What, what was this <laughs> bathing machine? You're onto something. This is under the section, Patents That Should Still Be Pending. <laughs> <laughs> the bathing machine consisted of a horse-drawn half-carriage containing a modesty tunnel, which allowed fully clothed swimmers to wade into the water in total privacy. You know, going out to the ocean or lake and you wanted privacy, you would go into no a kidding. modesty tunnel uh, in a half carriage pulled and, by horses. And that would be submerged in the water? Yes, yes. Wow. That's going to great lengths to be modest. That is going to great lengths. It's called a, the bathing machine. <laughs> And they actually got a patent for that. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, here's another one of Dave's. Let me give you a quick one here. In 1858, the first transatlantic communications cable was completed. How long did that first transatlantic telegram take to transmit? The first transatlantic telegram? Yeah. Went around the world? Well, it went across the ocean from here to there uh, under the Atlantic. Oh, it I see. It didn't go around the world. Submerged cables. Yeah, it was okay. 1858. So did it take something like a day? Did it take a half a day? Did it take a half an hour? How long did it take? Yeah, 17 hours. Holy cow. Yeah. And to add frosting to that cupcake, this triumph of technology lasted only one month because the excess voltage fried the wires under the ocean. Oh, my. So it took eight years to get it back to working order. Do you have the year for that? 1858. Yes, that's I thought it was right before the Civil War. Yeah. So during the Civil War, there were no transatlantic cables. So no. we're right before and after. Yeah. So during that whole Civil War, none of the news went over to Europe or anything. Right but, away. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So they probably just put letters on ships to transmit news yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Well, speaking of water, Marcia, what major improvement to the White House is credited to Thomas Jefferson? Well, books? Oh, that's the Library of Congress. I said, speaking of water, Marcia, that's the clue. No. <laughs> Not wet books, no. A bathtub. Well, indoor plumbing. Yeah. The start of indoor plumbing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was right? Well, sort of. Toilets, bathtubs, He installed faucets. a cistern in the White House in the attic, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, okay. That distributed water through wooden pipes, so it would gather water from the roof. Wooden and then pipes? Through wooden pipes, the water descended to the floors, and serviced two water closets. So they had toilets. <laughs> I'll be darned. During Thomas Jefferson's time. Yeah, good old Tom. So he was responsible for the first indoor toilets with running water in the White House. Good to know. And then uh, Andrew Jackson installed iron pipes in 1833, and then 
the White House had central plumbing in 1853, including hot and cold water. So, again, took some time. Okay. I always get for clumped, Bob, when I hear Auld Lang Syne on New Year's Eve. Oh, yes. I uh-huh. get all teary. But what the heck does it mean, Auld Lang Syne? For old lost time or something like that? Yeah, close, close. It's Scottish and literally means old long since. Old long since. Yeah, or in modern language, simply long ago. Well, that's good. I love that Scottish, old long since. It's an interesting way to put it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's always been arcane for most people. What is this old lang syne? Yeah, and I, some of the other lyrics are kind of strange in there, too. Yeah, but it always makes me cry, and I never knew why, but that's it. Like, Long ago. should old acquaintance be forgotten, never brought to mind? Yeah. What, what does that mean? I don't. That means we've forgotten some friends, yes. I think. Well, we should get a translation of that and figure it out. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of translations, I've got a question for you on the naming of months. We do this every once in a while. We know we're entering the fall, so I want to give you the question, what do the names September and October stand for? Where do they come from? The names of the months. Is October Octavia or Octavius? It's Octo. Octo meaning eight. Yes, the eighth month of the early Roman calendar. And September being seven. Sep, seven. That's right. You got them. I am so good. Yeah. September, of course, is not seven now. It's the ninth month. But originally, it was the seventh month of the year in the early Roman calendar. September stems from the word septum, which was seven. So that naming trend would continue for the remaining months. October then would have been eight, oct, like octo, right? Just exactly Uh what you said. Even after the Roman calendar evolved to incorporate 12 months, there were efforts to rename October and September, but no, never got renamed. Does this mean we're coming up on November and December and the weeks ahead? I can hardly wait. I won't sleep at night. All right. Well, you have some of these that are, you know, a little hokey too. Okay. All right. More than one. (laughs) Word origin. Why do we say we have a yen for something when we crave it? Yen. I have a yen for something. And it's not anything to do with Asian money or anything like that, is it? Well, I don't know. What does it stand for? What What does it mean? Yen. You'll like this. Yes, it is a type of Japanese currency. But yen is from the Chinese phrase yin-yan. Yin means opium, and yan means craving. Oh, really? Yeah. So craving opium. In the mid-19th century, the phrase entered English slang as yen-yan, which eventually was just shortened to yen in the 20th century, meaning to crave something. Oh, my goodness. So it went from yin-yang to yen-yan to yen So I have a craving for something. I have a yen for something. Yeah. And originally went along with, what was it? Craving opium. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's different. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of snakes, which you weren't, but I was, how long is the longest snake ever to be discovered? The longest snake ever to be discovered? Uh Uh-huh. Ooh, is it a python or something like that? It is. It's a reticulated python. Let me say it's uh, 25 feet long. Ooh, that's long. This is 32 feet and nine and a half oh, inches long. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just scary enough. That's creepy as can be. 32 feet. Think about how long that is. That's like twice the length of this room Jeez, here. that's amazing. You find these lovely native creatures in South and Southeast Asia. You know how they smell, Bob? How snakes smell? You mean how they sense smell or how they stink? No, how they... <laughs> <laughs> that could be... They have an aroma? Is that oh, what you're saying? Good yeah. good distinction. But yeah. yeah, I meant to say, how do they actually smell? Through their eyes? Well, close. Their tongue. 
Oh, really? Yeah, those little tongues that... Uh, That's what they smell with. Yeah, but you know, they're always out there yeah, with those little yeah. darting tongues. Yeah, they, that... Snakes have limited hearing and eyesight compared to humans, but they make up for it with an incredible sense of smell done through their... Tongues. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's time for a break now. Okay. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer. Yes, we like to entertain you with colorful features, boomer history, and brain fog, but we also tell you about serious stuff such as... The amount of money taken in from property taxes continues to rise. The actual percentage allocated to senior centers is declining. We search all week for news boomers need to know and make it available to you on OK Boomer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. OK Boomer! We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this each week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station, CPL Radio. After that, we put it on podcast platforms, and it's heard around the world. All right, Marcia, what country has the highest high-speed rail network, the largest high-speed speed rail network. network. Well, it's in Europe somewhere, isn't it? It's in Europe somewhere, and that is wrong. I knew that. I was just testing. I they... was going to give you choices here. Oh, please. Okay. Is it in Japan, Taiwan, China, or France? Well, France is part of Europe, so it's not that. That's right. It's <laughs> not in France, Marsh. All right. Is it Japan, Taiwan, or China? Taiwan. No, Marsha. <laughs> China. Yes, Marsha. <laughs> no other country even touches China when really? it comes to the size of their high-speed rail system. No kidding. When we were growing up, I remember Japan had high-speed trains, yeah. and that was like something yeah. we always read about in my weekly reader. Yeah. Well, China has more than 18,000 miles of track serving high-speed routes. Jeez. And the speed averages up to 155 miles per hour. Average. That kind of scares me. That surpasses all world competitors combined, and it's not stopped. The country is planning to lay more tracks, too. Ah, well, with all those people, you got to get around. From one place to another, absolutely. All right, I have another question on transportation. Oh, good. Related. Ah. What country has the most miles of railway track? China, Russia, United States, Canada, or India? The most miles of railway track, not high-speed rails, Yeah. but the most miles of railway track. U.S. It does. Why would you say that? I wouldn't have thought that. I don't know why I thought it. Well, you're right. The United States leads all other countries in total miles of railway track, just probably because the size of the country is so big. And my first thought was, we are connected to every city everywhere by rail, so it's not like, oh, we just have a couple here and there. That's true. So that's why I said it. So we have over 93,000 miles of rail lines in the United States. Wow. Russia is second with 53,000, India 42,000, and China also 42,000. How many do we have? 93. Okay, twice of China and all that. Wow. And you combine ours and Canada's, North America has 120,000. They have 30,000 in Canada. So it's like over 120,000 miles of rail lines across North America. And then when it comes to volume of goods transported, the U.S. also leads, but not when it comes to people, passengers. On that measure, India transports more people by trains, followed by China and Cameroon, Russia, and France. But you're right. I guess it makes sense that, you know, we were one of the first big ones to connect everything, so that's why we have so much. Yeah. I just thought the railroads had gone down in terms of, uh, you know, the past. We got an early start on it and kept going when we connected the east and the west. Okay, Bob. 
What is the largest girl-led entrepreneurial program in the world? The largest girl-led? Yeah. yeah. The girl-led entrepreneurial program in the world. Think about it. Is it in the United States? It is. Is it the Girl Scouts? Ta-da! <laughs> ding, Tell ding. me about it. Tell ding, me about ding, it. Ding, ding. Well, the answer comes right off the back of the package of delicious Girl Scout Thin Mints pretzels I bought yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it said, the Girl Scout cookie program is the largest girl-led entrepreneurial program in the world. Wow. People ask me where we get our questions. Now they know. I get them off of cookie bags. You do get them <laughs> off of cookie jars, cookie bags. Anywhere I can find it. Hey, I got an interesting question. This is entertainment, okay? And uh-huh. this is kind of an arcane one, but it's interesting. What link is there between the singer Cher and the movie star Marilyn Monroe? And there is a link. Cher and, and Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. Well, I don't know. They both had some kind of body difference. No, no? it had to do with Cher's mother. I was going to say, was it some kind of uh, relationship thing, a family connection? It was professional. I'll tell you. Okay. Cher, whose real name was Sherilyn LaPierre before she married Sonny Bono, had a very ambitious mother. Her mother was an aspiring actress who could have made the big time. She was supposed to be in a Hollywood movie, today considered a classic, The Asphalt Jungle. Oh. Unfortunately, at the last minute, her role was given to another young girl, Marilyn Monroe. Oh, there is a... So that was the connection between Cher and Marilyn Monroe. Her mother, Cher's mother, almost starred in that movie, yeah, Asphalt Jungle. It's the degrees of separation, like Kevin Bacon here. Right, okay, very right. interesting. Okay, Bob, you'll like this. See if you can guess the poetic origin of these three classic movie titles, okay? Okay, okay. All right. Inherit the Wind. Inherit the wind. Wasn't that in the Bible somewhere? Ding, ding. Inherit the wind. That's right. Proverbs 11.39 says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. Wow, inheriting the wind is not a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure what it means. Well, you inherit wind, you can't hold it. Yeah. It's something you can't hold on to. Yeah. That's a nice line. Yeah. You knew that, huh? How about this one? Okay. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Where did that come from? So that came from a poem or a novel or something, huh? Or something. I don't know. It's a nursery rhyme. Oh, really? Wire, briar, limber, lock. Three geese in a flock. One flew east, one flew west, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I'll be darned. That's a nursery rhyme. I didn't know that. Me either. Okay, last one. Ready? Yeah. The classic, From Here to Eternity. From Here to Eternity. That was a novel that became a movie. And my mom had that novel when I was a kid. It was in our basement on a bookshelf. But I don't know the answer. It's a, it's a line from Yale's drinking chorus in the Whiff and Poof song. <laughs> no kidding. And the line says, doomed from here to eternity. Wow. <laughs> drinking song. That's really being doomed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I suspect maybe the guy who wrote the book knew the Whiff and Poof song and went to Yale. Probably did. Marcia, the concept of horsepower. That was a marketing tool, believe it or not. It didn't exist before a certain point in time. What kind of marketing tool was it used to sell a new kind of machine? What machine? The car. No, no. it wasn't for the car. The, the uh, uh, tractor. Not a tractor. No, no, uh, not a locomotive. No. Horsepower was invented as a way to sell steam engines. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, I read that. This goes all the way back to the 1700s. Engineer James Watt needed a way to explain how strong his machines were, how much work they could do compared to one horse. He didn't invent the steam engine, but 
By 1776, he'd improved existing steam engine designs. Now he needed a way to sell the engines in a market where machines like grain mills were still driven by horses. A Scottish brewer, one of Watt's first customers, challenged him to produce a machine stronger than his horse. Okay. He did, and he proved it with numbers. He calculated how much a horse could lift using a rope and pulley, how much weight it could lift off the ground by a foot in one second. Uh Uh-huh. The answer, 550 pounds. So that became the standard for horsepower. How much horsepower is that? One. One horsepower? One horsepower. Now, we've got things that are a lot more strong than that, even in our garages. Most garage door openers, they're rated a half horsepower, but there are one and two horsepower models available. So it's not like a huge thing today with all the machines we have, even a garage door opener. All right. The difference is, in his day, Watt's steam engines were rated at five horsepower, but they could fill an entire room. Today, engines 50 times that powerful fit under the hood of your car. Wow. But the idea of horsepower was a marketing tool. It came from business. <laughs> yeah. It's a measure of the force applied to do work. It was an equation. Okay, here's another one from good old days, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> How did the scotch get in scotch tape, Bob? I know that. You I know do? the answer to that, yeah. That's because when that tape was first being sold... There were people complaining about that tape because it had a different kind of adhesion than other tape that was used for painters in body shops and things. And somebody accused the company, you're scotch, meaning you're cheap. Because yeah. scotch was the term that means yeah. cheap. So scotch tape was cheap tape. And it was derogatory at first. Well, that's close. The first tape put out by 3M was a flop because it only had adhesive around the edges. And so it didn't adhere well. And one annoyed customer told the tape inventor, Richard Drew, to take the tape back to his scotch bosses (laughs) and put more adhesive on it. (laughs) Isn't that funny? So that became scotch tape. Okay. That's where it came from. Isn't that funny? That's great. That's a great story. Yeah. There's a negative thing turned into a positive. Nobody thinks of it as negative. They decided, okay, well, let's use a tartan pattern and call it scotch tape. And the leader always had that pattern on it. That's right. The scotch pattern. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Scotch tape. Yes, of course. Okay. Names. Here's an interesting name. What singer's last name was really Robinson, but he dropped that name so he wouldn't be confused with a famous boxer. He was a black singer. Yeah. There was a black boxer who had the last name, same as him. He yeah. didn't want to be confused with him. Who was the singer? Well. Famous what, singer. Smokey Robinson? No. Okay. I don't know. No, he dropped the name Oh, yeah. Robinson. So he didn't go just by Smokey. I don't know. The singer was Ray Charles Robinson. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh. he dropped his last name to avoid the confusion. Ah. Ray Charles. Robinson was the last name, though. Okay, I'm going to finish up with a couple of quotes that make me smile. Okay. All right. Gracho Marx. I find television very educational. Every time someone turns it on, I go in the other room and read a book. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he made money off of it. That was his, yeah, claim to fame was TV. Well, he did movies too. And Lily Tomlin. I always wanted to be somebody. But now I realize I should have been more specific. <laughs> <laughs> we all should have been more specific, I think. About what you asked for. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show. And if you would like to participate or contribute, just like our friend Greg Williams did by sending us the book by David Frixell, another friend of ours, <laughs> you could do so by going to our website, theofframp.show. Or send us your favorite book. <laughs> well, that's an idea, too. <laughs> Go to the offramp.show, scroll all the way down to contact us, and you can do so by uh, sending a message to us there. 
Well, that's it for today. We hope you join us next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us next time here on The The Off-Ramp. Thank you, Marcia. You're welcome. I can do it too. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.